2: Have you watched any of Next Generation? No. Uh, it's all on Netflix. I keep downloading it to my phone. It's really good. Picard is totally horny for everyone.
3: Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, and
2: the second episode of the whole series is that they, the whole ship accidentally gets a virus that literally makes them all drunk and horny. <laughs> Would recommend. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, we're talking about the Aretha Franklin live film Amazing Grace and Claire Denis' lo-fi sci-fi high life. Plus, we'll be talking to Claire herself, so be it notes or life, get ready for some stratospheric highs. I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining my ramshackle prison of podcasting is the Warden of Wit, Ella Kemp. Hello. The Guard of Grace, Steph Watts. Hi there. And somehow out of solitary confinement,
3: (laughs) Sam Howlett is here as well. Hello. Steph,
2: it's lovely to have you back. It's been a while.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah,
2: well, um, we're going to be delving into two lovely films this week. Uh, Before we talk to Claire Denis about High Life, Let's start with Amazing Grace, uh, which is a new but also old at the same time film about uh, Franklin's recording of her seminal album of the same name. It's a live music film that's been a long time coming, but was it worth getting Aretha the action? Oh, wow. Ella, tell us a bit more about this one.
5: Well, thank you, Jake. So, as you say, uh, Amazing Grace uh, recaptures Aretha Franklin's amazingly high-selling, best-selling ever gospel album, Amazing Grace. So the film uh, follows the two days of gospel performance. It was at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Watts, Los Angeles. So at first, Sidney Pollack and his crew captured all of this really incredible footage but the project was never released because the footage was mishandled. Um, but here we are, 47 years later. The recordings have been brought out, brought to life. The film is completed and it's finally here.
2: Yeah. Um, so Sidney Pollock, who is down as the director of the film. Uh, people may know as the director of like, massive films like Out of Africa and Tootsie. And they shoot horses, don't they? Um, as well as being Will's dad in Will and Grace.
5: Iconic. Yeah.
2: Uh, And so he's hired to make this documentary about her recording. uh, And then it's initially meant to go out in a publicity manner alongside the release of Superfly. Uh, Mm. And whilst they're recording it, like there are some really stupid mistakes, like they don't use clapperboards. (laughs) uh, uh, So they cannot synchronize the footage to the sound. Uh, And it's just this enormous nightmare. And as you say, all the footage is locked away. And then... All of this uh, celluloid that's just been gathering dust is bought by a guy called Alan Elliott, who's a producer in 2007. He cuts them together into this 90 minute film uh, using sync robot technology that can recognise uh, the sound in the picture a lot better than they could 40 years ago. It plays at festivals, but then he gets sued multiple times uh, <laughs> by the Aretha Franklin estate. And then since her death, they've managed to settle on that. And eventually, in 2019, we have the film. So after all of that, was this worth the wait?
5: I mean, it's an astonishing story. And I think just knowing all of that and obviously still listening to Aretha Franklin all the time is obviously such a treat to have all of this footage and like it is, it's saved, it's salvaged this footage. It's not recreated, it's not rehashed, you know, it's not a biopic. She's here and she's back to life again. So that's kind of magic to, you know, to be able to see that finally. Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, Steph, you've been lucky enough to watch this a few months ago now and you've had time to ruminate on it. And uh, I know it's been one of your favourites of the year.
4: Yeah, I saw it um, in Berlin. Yeah, I didn't really know what to expect because I, like knew it was a documentary but didn't kind of fully realise how much of a kind of concert film live recording it was. Um, And yeah, just kind of, you have all these kind of bitty kind of shots where they've pieced together bits where the sound hasn't matched up and they've had to kind of take it from kind of other parts of the recording. Um, But yeah, you kind of, she like opens her mouth to sing and like I kind of turned to my left and right and there wasn't a dry eye like in the row <laughs> kind of that I was sitting on um it's just like absolutely astonishing like that you have that yeah that footage and it's kind of so intimate um and it really feels like you're kind of in the room with her
2: and it, it's not really a director's film mm. uh, this is completely led by performance uh it's not like we've got Sydney Pollack wanting to put his his mm. stamp on it at any time um and it's got these it's got flaws uh technical flaws as you already mentioned Steph mm-hmm. there there are still those moments where they can't piece it together as perfectly and it has this scrapbook flavor to it um but in a way that that kind of might aid the film as well do you think
4: yeah definitely i mean there's shots where um you kind of there'll be like somebody with their finger over the lens or like they'll swing round and you'll see the director in the corner being like get that shot over there like waving his <laughs> arms and stuff so it's definitely kind of Yeah, definitely not kind of a totally polished kind of finished result. But then you get these like really lovely moments, I think, where like um, Aretha Franklin's father is like in the audience and he kind of gets up to like mop a bit of sweat off her brow when she's like at the piano. Just like really kind of good moments like that that you might not get if it was kind of a fully realised like big stage concert film in that way.
2: And, And you do get the sense that this concert it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, it's a one-of-a-kind event, and the fact that they can't go back and reshoot it, that those shots with the finger over the lens, if that's the shot they've got, and that's the one they've got to use, because it's not going to happen again, and it makes you appreciate just how special it, it must have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how do you think it, this this really kind of uh, objective, scrappy style compares to the more stylized music docs that maybe we're m- more familiar with getting now, the more narrative-based stuff? Um, I'm thinking, like, Twenty thousand Days on Earth, the Nick Cave film, like that is all there to as much as it there is a performance that's central to it, it's about heightening the mythos of the character of Nick Cave, um as well as the performance. Mm-hmm.
3: Well what, there's the national film as well that's kind of mm, what, mistaken for strangers. Yeah, that kind of blurs the line between what what a concert film can and can't be, and like a yeah, music doc.
4: Yeah, it's like the lead singer from The National. I don't really know The National very well. Right. Apologies. But yeah, he hires his brother who's like out of work at the time to like come along with him yeah. and film this documentary. And that's very kind of, yeah, you get shots of him just kind of messing around with the camcorder. Yeah. and It's just like, oh, I can see myself in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. And like that. But, um, yeah, and that's definitely like a uh, using like the nationals music and like concert doc to form a different narrative and like a personal narrative for that filmmaker um so that's definitely one where you can see kind of different yeah stories coming into and
3: then there's um gimme shelter as well which is originally was supposed to just be a doc about this um free festival but it actually ends up capturing how this this day just went uh from bad to worse where like the crowd got so big. There were people, there's like a footage of someone getting murdered and mm. you see mm. the Rolling Stones watching the footage afterwards about how this concert went so wrong. Mm. So it's kind of, it's a different one where it's like they just wanted to film a normal music doc, yeah. but ended up being so much more and so much weirder. Yeah. And then the other end of that is uh, Stop Making Sense, the film about the talking heads.
2: This is like an all timer for you, isn't
3: it? Yeah, it's incredible. I love it. Um, And it's, yeah, we were talking about this earlier about how stylized Stop Making Sense is, like, because you know, Amazing Grace is very much let Aretha Franklin work her magic. Whereas it's hard to tell with Stop Making Sense if Jonathan Demme's like, let's just look at the Talking Heads for a while, or whether there's a bit more uh, of his kind of stamp on the film.
5: But then the Talking Heads are doing so much within their exactly. show from the very, you know, from the second it starts uh, when when the concept and the film then ends you think how in the world did I get here (laughs) and it's just David Byrne you know leading this stage this performance and directing it so much that I wonder as a filmmaker what do you do with that do you collaborate on that process or are you just kind of you know blessed to have a camera that's recording to just give this to a wider audience that's another thing that's I think that's amazing about Amazing Grace is for all of us to have the opportunity to see it on a very, very, very big screen. Um, and
2: loud. And mm.
5: very loud. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you know, the Prince Charles Cinema in London did a screening of Stop Making Sense a few months ago, which I I didn't go to, but it must have been magic to see that so big. So, yeah, I think it's an exciting time to, you know, we found this lost footage of Aretha Franklin and see it as big as and as loud as we can
2: yeah all right uh, so that was amazing grace uh, it's now time to move on to a sci-fi film that operates uh in a different realm of performance the sexual mysterious and unique pleasures of high life uh, so this film follows a crew of prisoners they're adrift in deep space on a mission headed towards oblivion or salvation uh, in the heart of a black hole now, they're made up of death row inmates. That's the twist. They've been repurposed for interstellar travel. And our lead is Monty, played by Robert Pattinson, who finds himself caught in a web of sexual and existential frustration with Juliet Binoche's scientist Dibs at the event horizon of the whole thing. And we were actually lucky enough to talk to Claire Denis about the film. So we'll go to that and then we'll come back to our review.
5: Good morning, Claire Denis. Thank you so much for speaking to me on the Curzon podcast. Uh, we're here to talk about high life. Yes. The film the film. Congratulations on the film. We've all, at Curzon, we've all loved it. Um, first of all, I want to ask you a question about the setting of the film. I've read that you have described the film um, as wanting to look like a prison. And yet it's set in space. So I wonder how you reconcile. Uh, oh, those no, two no, ideas? no. The, the question,
1: you shouldn't ask it like that. The, the, the thing is, those people are convicted, condemned to death, and they are slowly dying in the death corridor somewhere in America. And they are used as um, lab rats uh, to experiencing in space, you know, Mm -hmm. like surviving after you leave the solar system for years, you know. So they choose that kind of slow death, that uh, desperate death they are proposed in a jail uh, in a desk corridor and then with a little injection that's all yes. for me mm-hmm.
5: and because it's set in space and everyone speaks english i was wondering why you think that is that it had that it had to be set in english
1: have you ever heard about a cosmonaut uh, speaking Greek or Spanish? I haven't. Do you know w- which language are spoken in space for cosmonaut? Do you know?
5: I'd guess English?
1: American, not English, American and Russian. And I guess soon Chinese. Mm.
5: And so so it was never an option to, I guess, to transpose that w- world with, with French. Even right. the
1: French people who Travel in space today, there are few. I mean travel in the space station, which is not far from Earth. they do speak Russian and English. Mm-hmm. There is no other language yeah.
5: so finding your crew then who speaks english how how was that
1: and i also there was a thing i I know a little bit less about death penalty in russia mm-hmm. i there is more knowledge about it in America. Because in the US, people are fighting against it.
5: And so, working with that crew in space and casting the team that you have, I wonder how you went about creating these characters. I'm thinking with Robert Pattinson as well. I heard that um, a casting director suggested him to you, but that he'd also approached you to work on a project before. So, did you have more of the character in mind or? was that creative No
1: when we wrote him. the script I we described the character without knowing who was going to be in it actually No mm. Maybe the character of Monte I thought could be a little bit older than Robert but that's all
5: mm. Mm. So what what do you think that he brought to the role
1: It's impossible to describe how much he wrote, um, because when you're writing a script uh Writing a script it also a very high level of expectation, you know. So he it reach, reached my expectation like Andre Benjamin mm-hmm. also like Juliette Binoche of course like Mia Gott like our little baby, like Jessie.
5: She was sensational. How was it working with such a young actor? <laughs> with a young baby? You mean Jessie? Um, Scarlet, yes. Scarlet, the baby? Sorry, yes, the baby.
1: Oh, Scarlet was <laughs> not acting. She's a baby, you sure. know. She, we were... No, I mean, Jessie is fantastic, yes. Mm-hmm. It's true, yeah. yeah. The baby is great, <laughs> but it, 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 it's not acting. It's yeah. w- She was directed by Robert, and we were around, you know.
5: Mm-hmm. They, did they spend a lot of time together before the shoot?
1: No. No no she arrived the day we start shooting. Oh, wow. mm. So
5: they had to bond instantly. No
1: Robert, um, knew her parents? Okay. He had seen her when she was a baby. But he had to do a great, great. He was 100% concentrated on a relation with Scarlett and I think that's why we start shooting nine days only with both of them. That's the beginning of shoot, you Mm -hmm. know? So that we keep that.
5: Um, And so those space costumes, how did you come to design that kind of style?
1: We copy, we make the mixture of uh, more or less, they look like the Russian costume Mm -hmm. of today. Mm. Okay. I like their style very much. They're simple and they are beige and blue. I thought they were great for the prison look. Mm.
5: Mm. I wanted to ask about, very briefly, about the fuck box because yes. I read that at first you had called it the love machine.
1: Oh, <laughs> the f- script was written in French, uh-huh. and in the French version, Jean-Paul and I, we called it the love machine. What, and
5: what did you call it in French?
1: Love machine.
5: Just th- the English words in, in the French script?
1: Yeah, because the Love Machine had this uh, uh, ridiculous taste, you know? Right. You know? Love Machine. You know, it's a song, a famous song. Yeah. You know? So we are French, but we are not completely... um, We have some culture, too, you know? Of course. So Love Machine was a funny name, funny nickname. And then Stuart Staple, the musician, one day said, Oh, let's call it a fuckbox. That's (laughs) better. And that's the way we call it.
5: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Is it brilliant? (laughs) The film is brilliant, Uh, in my opinion. So,
1: (laughs) Thank you. I'm not brilliant.
5: (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) To lots of us, thank you so much for talking to me.
2: high life Uh not quite as much a long wait as Amazing Grace had but it also took its time getting here I think the first draft of this script was out in 2011 Uh there was various different people brought on to take a look at the project at one point even Zadie Smith was uh, brought on to take a look at the script but her and Claire Denise didn't get along and I think the first time Robert Pattinson saw it was in 2013 Uh in the time that they were getting this going she went off and made a whole other film that was Let the Sunshine In and then eventually uh we get this one uh, uh, so for the second time today uh was this one worth the wait
4: and um, well i'm still kind of catching up with claire Denis' work um it's only been in the past kind of couple of years that i've started uh really yeah get into grips with her films um but it was definitely like really really interested to see this like i love space movies i love robert pattinson so like it was a really kind of interesting thing to come into like how is this all going to work together
2: yeah i think there's there was uh, a general hype machine rolling for this for quite a few years Mm -hmm. Uh, just that those few words uh, Claire Denis science fiction Uh, and that's what people were latching onto and we're very excited about Um, and let's look at the sci-fi angle then Uh, how does this film operate as a science fiction film how does it work within that genre how does it uh, break from
3: it Uh, well I think if you know the sort of logline of this film death row mates are sent into space to harness the power of the energy from a black hole that's very much like a sort of mid to late 90s jerry Bruckheimer movie you know mm. you can see this being a kind of con air in space kind of thing yeah or a sort of roland emmerich film and uh roland emmerich has as of today recordings officially signed on to make moonfall <laughs> moonfall by the way is a mega budget uh sci-fi blockbuster that he's been trying to make for years about uh <laughs> the moon guess falling what up. it's about yeah <laughs> <laughs> the moon's falling out of orbit and is heading towards Earth. Oh, my God. So a team of astronauts are sent up to put it back in its place.
5: Mm. Had he talked to Claire Denis about this? Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah I mean, she could <laughs> they have they really nailed she it.
3: She could have know, nailed this.
2: Moonfall. this is yeah, <laughs> Moonfall's going to severely lack in having a fuckbox. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that this plot could be, a yeah, this sort of pulpy action blockbuster, mm. but Claire Denis makes it so much weirder, so much more nightmarish by adding in this Really weird sort of sexual angle to the film, mm. and the Juliette Binoche character, Dibs, is so sort of feels like from another film, but then makes everyone else in the film part of that film that she's from. Yeah, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, she's almost like a Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> she absolutely is. Yeah, um, and just, yeah. Uh, Ella, how did how did you grapple with this film? Because there's a lot to get into here. Um, but once we've got beyond the the sci-fi element Mm. of it this is a film about people having to figure out how to live together
5: yeah absolutely Um, it was also one of the earlier films of Claire that I came to and I like my space movies but I think a lot of the time they do just kind of wash over me and you know while they're dealing with all the various things to do with science and rockets and all of that, I think, eh, fine, you know, the, but are the people so interesting? Sorry.
2: <laughs> Bre- breaking my heart here.
5: But no, but Soaring you know, but <laughs> 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 that's exactly what I sound like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, they're, I I appreciate them, but I don't always feel completely immersed by them. And that's kind of what I thought it would be going into high life. But then, as you say, Sam, it's got all of these different angles that I just found it so gripping and just completely hypnotizing in a way that I'm still not completely sure why but I really really appreciate there's I think it's all down to the humans and in the sense that yes this I think everything in this very strange mysterious dark film has to exist in the orbit and universe that it is but essentially I wonder whether it could have Been made out of space. Like so much of it relies on their very strange politics with each other and their bodies and their biological and sexual and psychological needs and all of that. And I just find that realm really fascinating in a way that um with other space movies, I when I leave the film, I think that was a space movie. They were in a rocket and you know there were stars and planets and and that was the mission. Whereas this is a very carnal mission um, I think that's really exciting
2: yeah um, so because the, the film kind of uh, plays its hand right at the start we see Robert Pattinson with a newborn baby that he's trying to raise uh, we see that at the very beginning of the film all the other members of the crew have died and we have about 20 minutes of him having to deal with the fallout of that whilst having to care for a child. Mm. Uh, I'm sure any new parents who are listening will understand the, the terror uh, <laughs> that he's going through there. Like We've all been having to tighten a screw on the outside of our spaceship whilst our baby cries on the inside <laughs> and we can't do anything about it. Um, but because we're given the fact that given the baby, we're given the dead crew right at the beginning. And a
5: stunning title sequence, mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. Goodness me.
2: Yeah. um, Once we actually delve into how that will happen, because we know how it's going to play out already, we can almost spend more time figuring out just who these people are Mm. um, and delve into just the complete nightmare that is dibs um, and her fantastical constructions uh, including a, a box that creates a, a sequence that no one will be forgetting anytime soon uh, and along the way we've got Andre 3000 uh, who is just like pals with Denis now and apparently they text every week to check in with each other um, Mia Goth who is just checking off uh, European auteur mm-hmm. uh, one after the other after a great work in Suspiria um, and that there's a lot going on because they are there uh, as death row prisoners. We've got to figure out why they're there. What did they do? Does it really matter? Um, but also there's this experiment. Can they get pregnant? And they've got to go into a black hole to figure out whether they can harness the energy of it. It's busy whilst also being really desolate at the same time. There's a lot of business
3: in this film. Yeah. Too much, maybe too much business for my liking. There's this kind of you get yeah, as I said earlier, this kind of pulpy concept of defrocked mates in space, and on top of that, you have the sex stuff, and the sex stuff probably takes up about three hours of the film <laughs> um, for a two-hour film. It's I know, yeah, somehow. <laughs> But there's, yeah, there's this ideas of sexuality and desire and then also the fears of fatherhood. And also, I think there's something in here about how we treat prisoners and the idea of uh, this kind of weird um, community. Um, There's just so much thrown in together. On top of that, there's also a black hole (laughs) and a spaceship. And I think there's one scene that uh, is set on Earth where... This guy, two non-characters talking about the concept of the film.
2: Yeah, that's rough. Um, Which is a, w- a it, sort of it's got exposition. No place being, yeah, um, mm-hmm.
3: but, but I think that when you have this much going on, you feel like you need this one scene just for like, okay, here's what's happening, and now you can go back that's to tethering you to like this yeah, is the story. Yeah, I don't, you don't think that, yeah. that was like
2: the big misstep for me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I, feel like that totally broke the mood of the film and you could trim that out and I think you kind of get it you can piece it I all together she's out. not yeah. over explaining yeah. other stuff why do we need to over explain yeah. that yeah.
3: but having said all this having said that I think there's too much going on I think that Ella's right that this isn't just men on a, people on a mission heading towards a black hole because we've seen that film we've seen it in Interstellar and Event Horizon and so many other countless sci-fi films and Claire Denis is very much made a Claire Denis film in space. You know, mm-hmm. it's got that elliptical narrative. It's got those sort of eerily beautiful shots. It's got like graphic sex followed by graphic violence. Uh, so this is very much sort of trouble every day Claire Denis mm. rather than that the Sun Shining Claire yeah. Denis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so
2: we've got this kind of
3: life-giving
2: rocket plummeting with full yeah. momentum into this hole. Um, what is she saying? Yes. <laughs> um, but it's severely lacking desire that's the interesting thing it's not a very sexy film for the amount of sex that's in it um and it's really cold for sex does not come up very well in this film
3: no No. i
4: think as well because it's so kind of um out of a lot of kind of space films it really deals with like kind of oblivion and the void and like what's out there like yeah, is it really worth it type thing? I think maybe that's why it kind of leaves it a bit cold. Like, yeah, a lot of kind of... From the very start. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of big space films, I think, like cling to life and cling to like Mm. Earth and that kind of thing. But then this just like completely lets go of it. And like even sex is like not Mm. something that you can kind of, make contact through
5: like a lot of i think a lot of sci-fi films can be quite romantic in the sense of dreaming of what lies beyond and Mm. and you know the the worlds we haven't explored and the things we can do whereas as you say stuff like this is this is oblivion like this is the end this is death this is people who have wronged and this is people who now have to pay for that. And mm. it's...
2: I'm clearly getting a really a... different read because <laughs> I think, like, by the end of the film, it totally is that. And it is, like... Do you think it's hopeful? Yeah. I, like, to me, like, the last 20 minutes of this is essential for the rest of the film to work. Uh, I won't say what that is, but it's, like, the closest that Claire Denis is going to get to making a Spielberg film <laughs> is, the like, particularly the final moments. I think... are are totally key to all of it Mm. and give it this warmth and hope that uh, just Mm. isn't there and is your reward for getting through Oblivion. Mm, mm.
5: Uh, I think it's it's really rewarding and uh, having said everything about death and Oblivion, (laughs) I I don't think it's (laughs) grim (laughs) in the sense that she's such an exciting and sensitive filmmaker that everything she touches just kind of comes to life with this humanity that can either become grim and bland and dead or can be overly sugary and optimistic and everything um but yeah i think it's just so mysterious i don't know where that middle ground quite is yet
2: yeah um maybe it's one for people to make their minds up over uh it's not necessarily interstellar though is it sam Mm -hmm.
3: it's more like intercourse stellar yeah (laughs) (laughs) or deeper impact
2: Good, really good. Uh, we've mentioned quite a few films there, but tonally maybe uh, one for people looking for a middle ground between sunshine and under the skin, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think
3: so, yeah. I think sci-fi is often, <clears throat> for me anyway, feels like the le- the least sort of sexy genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it does sex, it under the skin is the one you think of, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this can be another one for that.
2: Yep. We put a call out on Twitter asking if you had to join a crew of space adventurers from a sci-fi film... Uh, on a most dangerous mission that might be your last, who would you choose? And so naturally, the Robert Pattinson stands on Twitter got involved, <laughs> and uh, Bree <laughs> said anyone with Robert Pattinson uh, so high life but uh, he is doing a new film with Christopher Nolan so that That's may yeah. involve space or time or something space. so we could have another one uh, to add there and obviously we have a few Stella. more reminders in, into <laughs> Stella uh, so around the table quickly uh, which crews would you want to be joining up with?
3: Uh, Galaxy Quest crew oh, they're, fun. <laughs> they're fun they're fun the yeah. fun ones yeah uh, Sigourney Weaver Tim Allen Alan Rickman uh, Monk the guy that plays Monk Sam Rockwell <laughs> Sam Rockwell yeah Monk yeah Monk Monk is cool and Monk <laughs> is in it Monk <laughs> is in it yeah Ella?
5: Um, I would join the crew on board the USS Callister in the Black Mirror episode
2: really you want to be controlled by that guy
5: oh, but have you seen that outfit oh, that's that's the main thing I'll be <laughs> controlled
2: by a creepy man in as his long room, as I do great I, a sweet jump
5: I'll Fly into space, into into oblivion.
2: Steph, now that uh, Sam's stolen your galaxy. I'd have to
4: join... The, cu- uh, the crew of Red Dwarf so I think I'd have some fun times yeah and aesthetically quite similar to yeah. high life you as well it. just with yeah.
2: but less sexiness yeah. um, I don't know yeah <laughs> Rimmer <laughs> yeah. he knows his stuff <laughs> okay. um, uh, I'll probably go for the USS Yorktown which is in Star Trek Beyond which is the amazing um, twisty turny city ship that's a bit like the one at Interstellar uh, and it's got Michael Giacchino's best song from the soundtrack is the Yorktown track and so I imagine if you live there uh, that song by Michael Giacchino definitely plays within this fictional world so that is Amazing Grace and High Life which is out in cinemas this week Uh, but Sam you are our home cinema correspondent Uh, what is happening on demand
3: well on demand you've got the Claire Denis collection so if you are doing if you're going to be in a Claire Denis completist we have uh, quite a few other films including uh, Trouble Every Day which is a delightful romp Uh, we have uh, 35 Shots of Rum and Beau Traval and a few others Also out uh, this week in Cinemason On Demand, Madeline's Madeline. Josephine Decker's... Yeah, Ella's a big fan. I love it. It's, (laughs) dare
5: I say, it's a masterpiece. Just going to drop that word and I'm going to let everyone carry on. It's outstanding.
2: Yeah, uh, and... People may not know, but Steph is part of the Bechdel Test Fest. And you've done some wonderful illustrated postcards for this film as well. Uh, So make sure you follow Steph on Twitter and check those out. And if you've got any thoughts on High Life uh, or Amazing Grace, then let us know on Twitter. We'll put our podcast call out on there. Uh, so if you've got any thoughts on these films or for our tweet for next week, do let us know. Uh, if it's your first time listening to the show, you can subscribe, do that on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, whilst you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, if you want to keep up with us, you can follow Sam on Twitter.
3: At Sam Howlett underscore one.
2: Uh, Steph, you are at?
4: I am at underscore Steph Watts. Ella, you are E-F-E-Kemp.
2: And I am at Jake H. Cunningham. Thank you so much for listening. Farewell.